Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast, the podcast for games on all platforms, including your Hollow Tactics table. I'm Daniel Winter. And this is Mark Uoso. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing pretty well. Um, actually, I was a little bit under the weather this weekend, so even though it's a long weekend, I'm re- not really getting up to much, taking it easy. That's what long weekends are for, re- recovery, <laughs> mostly, one way or another. For sure. And how about yourself? Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've literally just wrapped our, our featured game an hour or so ago. I, I, I spent some time catching up on that today, sort of for the, the final sprint there. So pretty, pretty, pretty relaxing here, too. So, I mean, not, not to uh, beat around the bush there, I guess that featured game is Jedi Survivor, which we'll be discussing later this episode. But before then, we've got a bit of news and, and other games we've been playing. Do we want to talk anything about our, our last episode at all? The, it was, hmm, let me bring that back there. The Age of Wonders Planetfall. Did you have any follow-up thoughts on that? Um, no, I'm pretty happy with where we left it. I felt like it's a, a fun title. I'd like to play it more, but I don't know if I would like to play it for ages and ages. I don't think it's an end timeless classic, uh, just because there's not that much content in there. But what it, what is there is pretty fun. Absolutely. Uh, one of my friends asked to borrow it for a, a game save his own, so obviously it did leave an impression. Uh, but I, I just wanted to say that I think there's a, a couple of um, other content creators have been have been discussing it lately, so it's having a bit of a revival. Uh, Tim Chuon uh, did a, a segment on that on his uh, Game of the Year video, and I think it was Ruel put up a, a sort of playthrough a week or so ago. So if you're interested in hearing more, go and check that out. Ru- Ruel Gaviola, that is. So, what is news for you, Mark? I think probably most pertinent to uh, news I've been following is the the Xbox news. So, first off, there was some controversy about some some business statements that some of the execs had said, and then there was this big hullabaloo on social media, and basically they decided to have this emergency brand talk on the, the official Xbox were upset, Mark. podcast. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't really one of them because I, I think it's been pretty clear what Microsoft's business strategy has been for the past while. This has been but, teased for a while now. They've been hinting at it. Yeah. Yeah. But they pretty much spelled it out on that podcast episode and they also streamed it on YouTube as well. And that's where I watched um, all, all of the segment, but they, they spelled it out pretty clearly. You know, the things that they were broadcasting so far in advance, Basically, Xbox has plenty of Microsoft-owned studio content that's on other platforms. They're going to release a few of them on other platforms. And I don't think this has even been confirmed, but the most pertinent examples are going to be two existing games that have a social um, platform dependence on them, like service games. Those are most likely going to be Sea of Thieves, uh, a game we've been talking about a little bit that has a, a fantastic following. It's been around for a while. And uh, another one that uh, is pr- pretty well regarded as well called Grounded that has a good social survival crafting dimension to it. So those games are, you know, like what the Microsoft execs were saying, they are success stories for them, but they're hindered because of being held exclusive to a certain platform so what do you do when you want to grow your market well you might want to look at some other platforms to expand microsoft has definitely been on the back foot this 
generation, for lack of a better term. And it, it's hard to know how much of this is them sort of scrambling to catch up or being proactive. I mean, for a while now, they've been moving towards a sort of uh, the future of their not being explicit platforms and consoles. Xbox has obviously dabbled in a lot of cloud options. Is I think is, I think it's Samsung or one of the TV producers they're they're working on to make a box that's can stream Xbox games without without a console. So increasingly, the actual console itself is is going to be irrelevant. It feels like, and, and Microsoft is really leaning into the software side of things, which is obviously what they're originally known for. Uh, so I, I think it, it's they are moving towards a, a vision of a, that's getting away from an explicit game box, right? So I, I think that's going to benefit gamers largely. It will give everyone more options. Ex- exclusivity doesn't really benefit anyone but the corporations themselves, and only then if they're winning, right? <laughs> yeah, I pretty much agree. I you know, am not a huge fan of platform exclusivity to begin with. I think Microsoft has done pretty well with its products, product lines that they brought within their stable, like Minecraft being the preeminent example, you know, why would they shoot themselves in the foot and deny all of the end users access to Minecraft? They'd only make enemies of the user base to just sell a few more Xboxes. You know, that's just a business suicide. So why would they do that? And on the flip side of that, they can only grow their uh, other products uh, like those two previously mentioned. Also, with the acquisition of platforms like, um, or publishers like Blizzard, who are already known for their, you know, like blockbuster social um, games, like, uh, you know, your, your uh, obviously Starcraft, Warcraft. Diablo uh, 4 coming to Game Pass. It's going to be the news for the next month. Yeah, Diablo 4. <laughs> that was announced on that uh, podcast as well, which, you know, anyone could have predicted was going to happen, but they just confirmed it. So really, if anyone was paying attention to the actual industry news, they wouldn't have been surprised by anything that was announced at that statement. And it was pretty much like a whole bunch of nothing. Um, just confirmations of what we predicted. Um, a couple of games we'd already covered. Hi-Fi Rush, we covered in depth. Pentiment, we, we've only barely talked about. But, you know, these are other games that are likely to go multi-platform. And the fact is, these are older games. We've already had the talk about them. Xbox players have been playing them for a while. Why not let other platform holders get a chance? Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited for more people to have a chance to try both of those. I, I'd like to revisit Pentiment myself. That uh, has a lot of promise and I like dealing with some really interesting themes, uh, but not not a, a, a like it, it's it's like a 2D RPG. It's, it's very strange sort of in its presentation. So it didn't necessarily get the best foot forward, I think, there, but definitely has a, an audience that uh, hopefully that will expand. Right. Yeah. So if, you know, if you can't guess, I am totally fine for this direction that the company is going in, even though I've owned pretty much every Xbox since the OG, I'm not butthurt because Microsoft is dallying with spreading some of its previously exclusive titles out there. It it seems like they're going to keep some of their bigger weight titles like Starfield that just came out. We also covered and uh, the upcoming Indiana Jones game that looks like it's got a lot of buzz behind it from, um, I think, Machine Games. Uh, it looks like they're going to keep that uh, exclusive. So, you know, just keep a balance. Not going to see Halo on the Switch anytime soon. 
Um, yeah. yeah, I, I think no this, this this only really benefits uh, the, the players, as it were. Uh, I'm not going to go out and praise Microsoft, but uh, this this is good for the future of the industry, I think. Yeah, for sure. And if you know Microsoft has done any good with some of its leadership, most of it, the reason why I like it, is their commitment to um, their seeming commitment to consumer friendly uh, tactics like backwards compatibility. That's huge. You know, I don't have to worry that I have to rebuy all these games again, the next iteration of hardware that comes out for the last two or three generations. It seems like they've been committed to backwards compatibility. The other one is innovation like the Xbox Game Pass service. Which, of course, you and I, you know, we don't have to say again. I think we say it <laughs> multiple times every episode. We're users, subscribers. It's a cost-effective way to, to get to try out some cool games, some lesser-known games that we might not spend the full price for. And it's forced other players like Sony to uh, take notice and update their subscriber service to make it more along the lines of Game Pass. So it's already making an effect. An impact. Yeah, and they've also been uh, advocates for like cross-platform play or cross-play, cross-save at the very least. Uh, features that I've always enjoyed. If you want to some 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 of the bigger games, sometimes you want to play on your ex on your console. Sometimes you want to sit down on the computer and play it there. So having that flexibility across platforms is is always uh, appreciated. So I mean, Microsoft obviously has uh, they're they're a big company. They they have the the luxury of having a sort of diverse portfolio and and can you know spread their wings like that. So, but in in this case, I, I think it is is good for the gamers. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any other news you wanted to cover? No, I think we'll keep it brief today since we've got a lot to talk about. So what have you been playing lately? Yeah, I guess um, I'm feeling a little bit of FOMO in one way. I hear a lot of the buzz out there for Yakuza Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. Ah, yes. Uh, (laughs) But I don't have infinite wealth myself so i'm not going to drop the full price to play it especially once i got when i have so many other yakuza games in the backlog available on that uh previously mentioned xbox game pass i've been meaning to continue on with yakuza like a dragon uh yakuza 7 like a dragon the previous entry and i've actually been playing a bunch of that and balanced with uh persona 3 reload which is another kind of retro-y title and they have a lot of interesting qualities to them being two more modern setting non-fantasy Japanese RPGs that don't exactly follow the JRPG mold Hmm. they're trying something a little bit different so in that case they're kind of you know symbols of the new school even though Persona is already on its beyond fifth iteration I think there's that, um, what is it, Grand Fantasio or something game that they're coming out? Oh, the uh, fantasy that's, yeah, medieval thing, yeah. It's yeah. like a, a different take on the Persona formula. So uh, I won't say much more about them except for the fact that I'm enjoying them. I really got into Persona 3 Reload and then it got a little bit of re- repetitive. Mm. It, but what I played so far is really rock-solid follows the time-honored Persona formula, at least from the more recent games. I personally started with four. Same, yeah. Beat it. 
uh, played a little bit of five, wished I had played more of it while it was available on Game Pass. Same. <laughs> yep. Jumped right yeah, back yeah. onto Persona 3 Reload, and it feels like you're just putting on a comfortable old pair of shoes. Uh, it just yeah, plays so steadily, and maybe it's because it probably established that more modern formula we're familiar with, with those ladder tiles. So, great. Uh, but... It also, at the felt time, felt a little bit repetitive and kind of formulaic as a result. So I just wanted to change a palette, jumped over to Yakuza 7, really enjoying that. And, you know, despite all what they say about the Yakuza games having really odd pacing and really odd storytelling, <laughs> right now I'm really enjoying that because I guess Persona 3 feels a little bit more, I don't know, a little bit more predictable. In formulaic, Yakuza 7 is being a little bit more quirky and oddball, so I'm enjoying the contrast. Yeah, I actually have uh, Yakuza 7 installed that I wanted to, to get on with once I was done with Jedi Survivor, so I, I may take a look at that very soon. I, I, I've, I never really enjoyed the previous Yakuza games that I've tried. I wasn't a big fan of the, the brawling combat, uh, just like very heavy sort of combo-based like physical combat but the the, the turn-based uh, mechanics in Yakuza 7 are interesting so I might, I might see if that grabs me anymore and just I hear so many good things about the world and the characters and the little side stories in those games so curious to check that out speaking of, of, of GRPGs I actually just finished Xenoblade Chronicles I've been picking at that for like a better part of a year uh, and finally wrapped that. I, I dethroned God, as, as you all want to do in these games. Um, and it, it was really good. I burnt out a little bit on the end and just how many mechanics there were going on. Like, I, I wasn't really tracking all the amount of information it just kept throwing at me. But there's a wonderful sense of scale in, in that game. Just the way, the, the sense of place. Like, it's the whole game is set on the back of these gods. Like, these enormous, like, robotic uh god creatures and you're literally like ascending these over the course of the game so the great sense of scale and and, and the, the size of these levels uh and the, the characters and performances were, were really strong too so i i really enjoyed that nice uh well i was pretty much just playing those two video games so um do you have any other video game titles you've been working on yeah, just quickly, what I wanted to mention last episode and uh, ran out of time is when I, I picked up in in the the Christmas sales, having heard about the some end of year discussion, that is Aliens: Dark Descent. I think it was Rob Zachney at Remap had been sort of a, a bit of an advocate for this. It had never got a huge following, but this is a strategy game, not dissimilar from something like XCOM. You've got this sort of metal layer where you have a whole bunch of you have a squad of soldiers that you're kitting out and upgrading their equipment and managing their, their injuries and then going into these these levels but where XCOM has like a very turn-based you're, you're controlling each soldier independently and getting them into position here you, you have four soldiers and they all move as one autonomous unit so you, you click move and they all move as one to that spot and so this really takes away a lot of the, the, the micromanaging that can get a little tedious in some of these games, making sure everyone's in Overwatch to, to before, before you activate the first enemy and whatnot. So it's obviously set in the alien universe, but you're, you're going through the, these levels with, with various objectives, trying to 
at first avoiding the aliens like you you're like they're pretty intimidating obviously and you can stealth around and see them on you've got your mini map obviously with the, the pinging dots as you, as you can imagine from the movies uh and eventually you you're gonna have to to take one down and you'll you'll you can set up suppressing fire with various skills and the alien will come at you and you, you measure take it down and not take any injuries and you, you have this real th thrill of hoorah we, we, we got the alien and suddenly the sound of that draws in more aliens and now, now there's two coming towards you okay you got those but now the stress of your marines is starting to tick up a bit they've got this sort of darkest dungeon stress mechanic that the, the more time they're in the presence of aliens they, they start to, to freak out a little so they hit, hits a certain threshold and suddenly their accuracy isn't as good and now an alien gets closer and splashes acid on them and now their, their armor's gone and so there's this real sense of descending sort of odds as the aliens start to flow in faster and faster and the the, the marines are starting to freak out a little more and uh you're trying to manage their their <laughs> their sanity basically but so there's this, yeah really good uh, sort of flow of, of, of rising tension there and it's quite interesting in that there are crafted levels there's about a dozen levels to work through but you don't have to do them all in one run so you can push as in as far as you can and and they, there might be a dozen or so sub objectives over the course of these these huge sprawling levels but it's up to you as to when you stop pull your marines out and then like recuperate and come back the next day and there's some timers to, to manage but it, like on the metal level but it's up to you like it's up to you how far you want to push a little bit of push your luck mechanic there is to to when how, how far do you want to push them or like do you do you, before they <laughs> spiral uh because i mean this is a game where as soon as one thing goes bad it go it goes really bad so it can be a little bit of a yeah a, a spiraling um <laughs> you, you can things can can <sighs> get out of control pretty quickly and so there is a little bit of saves coming there as much as you, you, you i do tell myself i'll roll with the punches sometimes it's pretty easy to go from full healthy marines to, to a wipe very quickly but i'm, I'm really enjoying the pacing and then the, the sorry the, the the atmosphere in this uh it really what aliens isolation did for alien this does for aliens basically uh so i'm really enjoying that so it's a, it's a strategy game with a sort of unique sense of, of, of movement and and, uh, and and pacing that I'm quite enjoying. Very nice. Sounds like a very tense and engaging game. So keep, keep an eye on that. It was, it did have a lot of uh, performance issues when it first came out. And I think that's partly why it, it didn't get much buzz. It has been improved quite a bit since then. I had a couple of, of minor issues, nothing game breaking, but uh, it, it's uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great little strategy game if uh, you're in the mood for that. So uh, anything else you've been playing? Yeah, not so much more on the video game or board game front, but I have been playing some RPGs. I started up uh, a new D&D &D campaign. I've joined my neighbor's ca ongoing campaign uh, as a just a, a jump-in character. I'm trying something new. Uh, it's like a... I guess you could call it a homebrew style of world. It's it's going to be like low magic, kind of think more Conan the Barbarian versus a Forgotten Realms or something like that. So I thought that would be a little bit intriguing to do something that wasn't exactly stereotypical D&D. So I rolled up a, a cleric, but is not going to be a stereotypical European inspired one. 
<laughs> I kind of envision him to be a kind of a Near East wandering acolyte. I thought it would be a nice contrast to, you know, what you get in so many Tolkien slash D&D inspired campaign worlds. So I'm interested in continuing that. Got another session coming up this week. And uh, along those lines, I'm also brushing up on the Fallout game that we had going on, trying to remember (laughs) when the last uh, session that we did of uh, that was, because uh, I still have some notes written up, but I just want to be able to pick up exactly where we left off and keep the the story going forward in a strong way. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to jumping back into that. And I I saw that Modifius actually just put out a a new Fallout game. I think it's a, a, a tactics Sorry, a miniatures tactics game. I want to say Wasteland Warfare is the name. Yeah, actually, uh, it's a little confusing. Modifius uh, like does great work. Uh, obviously, they, the the books and the products that they put out are so beautiful to look at, and you know, well well researched all of that. But they've had like two tabletop role playing yeah. games on top of the one that we covered ourselves. So they have. Wasteland Warfare has been a miniature skirmish game that's been out, but then there's also the Fallout Wasteland Warfare tabletop role-playing game, which is different from the tabletop role-playing game that we covered, which is more D&D pen and paper style. So this new one must be the third iteration or another (laughs) spinoff, so a little bit hard to follow, but they they do put out good work, so I'm sure it's going to be fun for the fans. Yes, lots of lots of uh, options out there for Fallout fans. <laughs> there you go. How about so, yourself? Yeah, I, I haven't been playing many board games lately, just because everyone's been sick this month. I don't know what it is. My my kid was sick for a week, and a few of my other gaming friends were, were uh, out of commission. It's that time of year for sure. Oh yeah, uh, the rolling seasons are here. But uh, the uh, our, our friendly local game store, Rain City Games, every year for Valentine's has this sort of promotion where they do blind date with a game. Basically, it's a, a paper bag with a game inside and then just a, a rough description or sort of a, a bit of a riddle, basically, to, to, to give away the identity of the game and send some basic information. And so I, I will usually uh, support them and pick one of those up each year. And I had one this year... That uh, what was it? Was said Sim City meets meets Lego. I think was was the the clue, and and the two things that I I'm I'm very much into. So I t- took a chance on that, and uh, in and in a, a change from previous years, I actually got this game to the table right away, and that is Rolling Heights. So this is the game by John D. Clare and AEG from last year, I think. Uh, it had a pretty good buzz around it, from what I recall. So basically, it's a city city building game. You, you're all collectively building onto the one central map, but you actually have these plastic blocks that you're stacking up on top of each other. So there's this really amazing sense of, of, of actual table presence. Uh, by the end of the game, you have these huge skyscrapers and, and they tend to congregate in one area of the map. The other might have these little low residential areas scattered around. And so that, and that's just fun, this, the stacking Lego blocks, basically. And, and the, the, the map you build at the end but how you do this is basically have a handful of meeples that you're rolling and whether they land on their side or 
upright or on their face determines as to like with how, how much you get out of them basically because you can swap them in for like resources or buying new tiles and, and whatnot so it's a little bit of a bag building game but there's no discard you just you can pick whatever meeples you want for that turn so that that's always, that's always thrilling obviously is just you know rolling a handful of meeples about these sort of huge range of like candy colored colors that, 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 that are great to look at it is a very fiddly game for better or worse like there's some good fiddle there but also just a lot of downtime people re-rolling their meeples and then having to improvise because you never know what exactly you're going to get so you, you can't really plan your turn ahead until you've actually rolled your meeples right uh so it can be a little fiddly in that regard uh and especially when it, it, it even tells you oh be rolling your meeples in other players turns right so to keep the flow going and that's great but then there's no real interaction you everyone everyone other people's turns everyone's got their head down <laughs> rolling meeples in their box and so it's a, it's, a, it's very not to say solitaire game but it's a little isolating it can feel like there's not even time to, to really chat or anything and this game does go a little long we went like two and a half hours for the first game, including Teach, and it does say an hour in the box, so a little long for the type for the amount of luck that goes into the game. But they there was a lot of fun in in just rolling dice, sorry, rolling meeples, and uh, and and playing with Lego. So if you if you like a good tactile sort of light strategy game, this was uh, some good fun. Great, sounds like you got a excellent surprise game out of uh, the uh, the event. Yes, I had my eye on that game, and I had an inkling that's what was in the box, so, or in the bag, I should say. So uh, I chose well. There you go. Okay, shall we get on to a galaxy far, far away? Let's do it. Let's jump to hyperspace. Well, welcome all Jedis and droids. We are back to the Star Wars universe with Jedi Survivor. That came out in 2023 from developer Respawn Entertainment and publisher Electronic Arts. Yeah, and this was pretty widely available on all platforms. PlayStation, Windows, Xbox. So, yeah, this, this came out last year. I skipped it at the time. But I think there, it had some performance issues out of the gate, but so I, I've been curious to revisit this one. You, you've been discussing it on and off for a couple of months now, picking it up at, at the library for, for a little while, on and off, and uh, I picked it up over the holidays, and so I thought it was a good time to, to, to dive in and discuss this in detail. And there's obviously a lot, of, lot to discuss for a, a AAA game with a lot of uh, Star Wars baggage, obviously. But uh, there is one very important question I need to, to ask, though, is who is your favorite character and why is it Turgle? <laughs> Turgle is pretty amazing. Uh, like that character a lot. There's actually a pretty charming cast of characters, all told. A little rogue not gallery to, here. <laughs> precisely. Not to mention a lot of the previous game's cast returns great scenes out of them. And there's some pretty cute, fun, new or intriguing new characters as well. Absolutely. So, where do you want to start here, Mark? I mean, so I guess very quickly, this is a sequel to to Jedi Fallen Order from 2019, I want to say. Also from, from Respawn, obviously. And I, I 
remember enjoying that game. I don't remember a lot about what happened in it. Uh, I I remember going to Kashyyyk, the, the Wookiee planet, I think. And I remember the characters, is, I think, is the, the main memorable part. There's is, is some, some great characters in your in your crew here. But I, I was a little disappointed that the there's a recap video at the start of this that is atrocious. It, it, it's like probably the worst recap I've seen. It just flashes like some key scenes at you completely out of context without like there's very quick flashes, uh, and I did not really get anything out of that. <laughs> right, it's pretty much a last time on Law, Law and Order clip segment, so that part wasn't too inspiring. But um, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you played the the prequel, uh, previous entry to this series. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Of course, that game was on Xbox Game Pass. This newer game is not. I rented it uh, and completed it entirely through library rentals. I think it took me five or six to to get <laughs> through it all, but uh, I made it happen. So yeah, let's let's start with the very basics. Uh, so this is a single player game, like its previous entry. It's action adventure oriented, uh, like the game before it. Uh, it also has a strong Souls like inspired combat. Not so much engine. in this one, I don't think. I think they took a step back there for this, for this version. Yeah, it's 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 not it's souls like inspired. It's not nearly as tight uh, tight and grueling as the mainline entries in in, in that genre. But uh, it also likes to blend elements from other games like Metroidvania. It's it's a pretty much three yes, D Metroidvania. Think, yeah. um, this game was designed by Stieg Amundsen, who worked on a number of I think uh, four or five of the God of War games. Also worked oh, on Mortal Kombat. Sense. 2011 so and the previous mentioned fallen order so i thought that was interesting yeah apparently he's no longer with respawn so i'm not sure what's what's on the line for the next sequel assuming there's there's going to be one i I believe this was intended as a trilogy uh so yeah i I guess do we start with like the the basic combat mechanics here uh a lot of lot of lightsaber swinging basically (laughs) absolutely there there uh, is, and I think the previous game had a two or three of the stances that are such a strong focus of even this game as well. But this game takes it a couple of steps further and adds a total of what is it five yeah. uh, lightsaber stances. Let's see if I, I wrote them down or I remember them all. But it's of course single, double, as in one in each hand, double ended, which is pretty much your your Darth Maul your Darth Maul type <laughs> action and yep. then you get the the Star Wars Rebels inspired lightsaber plus pistol combo which i think um what's his name I Ezra, Ezra Bridger Ezra <laughs> oh, Bridger okay. uh, that character has a literal lightsaber that is a blaster but in this one you have a lightsaber and a blaster, which I really loved. I love that stance quite a bit. <laughs> and I think maybe the controversial, but, you know, spot on choice in terms of the subject matter was the bracer, the, um, the Kylo Ren. Cross guard. Cross, cross guard style. Yeah. Rounding out the five. Basically, uh, so, you turned your lightsaber into a, into a great sword. <laughs> yeah, like um, really slow and plodding, but powerful attacks so i was actually pretty impressed with the range of combat styles that they got out of those five stances did you did you try them all out yeah i mean i think the game does do a a decent job of introducing them to you it it gets them to you pretty quickly you sort of breeze through the introduction to them over the course of the first couple of hours so it gives you a chance to try them even though i'd already like invested 
uh, upgrades into one or two, and then suddenly it's throwing at me yet a new one. Probably, probably a little too fast, I think. I never had a, a, a chance to, to get a, a feel for how they work and how they could be upgraded, especially before it was throwing a new one at me. But it, it, it did introduce them <laughs> and at least, at least give you a little taste. Right. And it's up to you to, to try and experiment. So I, I sort of settled on the, the double-bladed, to that was a good AOE basically because you can spin it around yourself uh, and and then sort of clear everything around you, and uh, I I was actually pretty I, I expected to like the the lightsaber and gun combo I, I'm always I always like playing a ranged character, but I found it pretty weak at least in its initial uh, upgraded version and most of the most of the stances have like a version where you throw your lightsaber at enemies anyway right or you can just deflect. Uh, other uh, enemies lasers so I actually I found myself taken with the cross guard uh, like, like swinging that big sword <laughs> interesting it was, it was very impactful I found like which, which I was really missing in some of the, the lighter stances like you could really feel the impact it was a very intentional combat in in with using that cross guard so you like very because it was like big swings you had to be like time yourself focus on parries and then timing and whereas otherwise i found it generally pretty a little bit a little bit a little bit weightless and spamming buttons to like spin around really quickly which looks cool but i I was just didn't find particularly engaging yeah, that's really interesting. I also went with the double-ended uh, uh, for the crowd control, like you mentioned. It's great for reflecting um, sort of blaster bolts back yes. at people. <laughs> that never gets old. <laughs> oh, it's it's so great, even though it's pretty much like auto-enabled auto, auto uh, enabled if you hold down the right button. Um, and yeah, you're, you're totally right, too. With the upgrade trees, which you can essentially upgrade all five of these, or each of these five stances, I should say, to a, a great degree... Uh, ever growing the uh, power and the versatility of these particular stances. I think you're really only ever supposed to focus on two or three. I enabled the convenient player respec, which is offered for free mm. at least once. Yeah. I feel like I did that about two thirds through the game. And then I ended up focusing on only two of the stances uh, like you, because basically you can only carry two stances at a time. And switch between them on the fly, which which is which was cool. Based yeah, on what, that's right. As you come across, right. So you can only reset them at at, at the fire uh, fires. Essentially, you know, the meditation points <laughs> they're called in this game. Uh, but you can only uh, swap them out every now and again. But you can switch between the two that you happen to be carrying at any time. So I chose the double ended, and I did end up choosing the single lightsaber and blaster. It sounds like this played towards each of our different styles. You know, it sounds like you had a more plodding, methodical, heavy strikes. I personally don't mind some of that um, chaotic button mashing. <laughs> and particularly when you're getting multiple enemies on you from multiple different directions and multiple planes. I'm not talking about, you know, six rats attacking you on the floor. I'm more talking about... Stormtroopers over here, uh, floating uh, security bots over there, and then a couple of lizards nipping at your feet over here on three different layers. Being able to jump between them, target them, take down some of their shields if they're robots or, or stormtroopers uh, with the blaster worked really well. Or you can, you know, 
aggro some bring some of the enemies towards you by blasting them at just the right time really worked for me and uh, i guess that's a great indication of how versatile the combat can be in, in Absolutely. this game yeah I, there's lots of options there I did, I did struggle a little bit with the number of combos like every stance has a bunch of new combos to to memorize and i so it's, it's a little hard to, tr- to switch back and forth between them and remember what what button combo does what with, with which stance uh, but largely, I, I, I struggled a bit too, just in that you mentioned the, the enemies swarming you. And like, th- these enemies really are very inconsiderate. Because <laughs> like, in Assassin's Creed, you get swarmed by a bunch of enemies. And they, they, they have the, the honor of, like, they'll stand back and wait for one at a time to attack you, right? Like, they, 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 there's no such qualms here. They all just swarm you and attacking from every direction. And I struggle with that a little bit, especially with how many unblockable attacks they are. They're just constantly spamming unblockable attacks that you can't dodge or parry. Or, or you can dodge, I guess, but you can't parry, right? And I was regularly found myself just being stunned, stun-locked, basically. I like stuck on the ground and unable to get up because the enemies just kept swinging. So yeah, yeah that's partly why I, I settled on the cross guard where I could sort of take a step back and, and, and be more intentional with the combat because otherwise I usually get, get into the thick of it and the, <laughs> the lasers are flying every which way. Yeah, I didn't find it too bad uh, when you were only dealing with one type of enemy and one yeah, type of Yeah, one or two at a biome. time is fine. Yeah. But there's some really interesting spots and we'll, we'll mention some of the terrain as well, but on Kobo, which happens to be kind of like the largest open world area of the game you have these points where like two biomes are meeting or else two kind of geographic uh, elements are meeting so like you might have a op- more open area and then you might have a cave entrance and then you have these paths at which patrols will cross and some of the p- these patrols are um you know humanoids like they're um or they're, they might be droids or humanoids and droids and then they might come across wild creatures which are of course beasts or you might be coming across the aforementioned stormtroopers plus security droids and sometimes these forces can be at odds with each other separate (laughs) from you so you can run into a firefight or blasters against beasts and they they don't even care about you they are totally engine driven they're ai driven to follow these routines and they're really quite seamless they're really quite enjoyable to watch but when you get caught between two opposing forces that have very different combat styles from each other it can get really chaotic and you know i think that's a good example of the style of i guess really unpredictable combat you can find yourself in yeah, worth noting too that you do have the the old Jedi mind trick where you can basically turn a, an enemy to your side uh, and to, to, to fight each other. So that that, that was that was fun at times. It takes a while to level it up to a point where it was particularly useful, and I, I often f- regularly forgot that that was even an option. It's something about this: the buttons were a little unintuitive. I found so I rarely relied on the the, the force powers other than. Uh, yeeting stormtroopers off a cliff which which again never gets old (laughs) yeah it's so prominent that there's a dedicated force push and a dedicated force pull button and they're mapped to the opposite end of the control pad if you're using the control pad and it's really quite elegant how they balance that Um, of course they made it really really prominent uh for not just combat but uh things like some of the environmental puzzles Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other, the other abilities were all sort of like multi-button press combos that I 
yeah, it was, it was a little too much in, in the thick of it with the with this with the speed of the battle goes. It's very fast paced. I uh, it's usually easier to just you know spam through them. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was an interesting way that they diversified the combat choices as well. So not uh, not only do you have those two combat stances at any given time, I have you have the force push and pull, uh, and then you have these kind of secondary or tertiary force abilities that you started mentioning. The Jedi mind trick you can actually use in the heat of battle, which was pretty useful if not absolutely necessary for some of the combat encounters. Um, you also had a, a force lift, so you could lift certain creatures or even eventually groups of creatures up into the air uh, and uh, just, you know, potentially just hold them there. I never got that working properly for me. And again, it's, again, it's partly just the number of enemies swinging at you. I was just always getting interrupted. So like, it's, it's, it's almost like a cast time for these abilities. True, and it is risky. Everyone was so relentless and swinging nonstop that I just found it tricky to, to time those Right. So there's the force lift. And of course, you, as you'd expect, there's a force slam. So you can slam things that you've already lifted or slam things from a standing position down to like a kneeling position. So that was one of the combat abilities using the force. And then I think there was also like a force confuse or like, a, what is it? You just kind of like you sh shock people or kind of freeze them around you. I think that's another one of the force abilities. I must have missed that one. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of cool. Like you don't even have to use these abilities if you don't want to. And all of but all of these abilities have uh, upgrade paths which you can optionally choose to invest in if you do enjoy or want to combine them. Yeah, yeah. So I think that about covers combat. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the sort of the broader world design that you, you've mentioned, Kobo, and and how that was laid out, which I think is the sort of the main diversion from the previous game. Yeah, for sure. I don't even remember the regions from the earlier games, except for uh, Kashyyyk. I do remember that. Um, as I recall, the environments from the previous game were much more linear. Or um, they were kind of like loops. Like yeah. Kashyyyk, when you work it out, is actually just a literal loop. You go up and then you go all the way back down. Uh, but it's it's essentially like a Mario Kart track in that sense. <laughs> uh, even though it's, it's huge, it's massive, it's really just a, a loop that you follow. And the ones in this game are much more open world, but constrained. There are, what are there? There's, uh, I think there's two main planets... Uh, Kobo, well, Kobo is, is the main planet. I think. Is the main Jeddah is somewhat secondary, yeah. like a lot, lot smaller. Jeddah is secondary, although there are a there are multiple biomes technically in each of these. I think Kobo had more. Kobo has at least three or four distinct biomes, and Jeddah mostly mostly just sand. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yet another Star Wars. Desert, uh, desert planet. <laughs> right, single single biome world, for sure. Um, but, but Kobo branched off a little bit from there. And then I, I don't think it's a, um, it's a spoiler to say there's just like an introductory area that takes place on, of course, very famous Coruscant. And I thought that part was really nicely done, actually. You got this cinematic entry um, into the game right from the title screen. When you press start, it just rolls right into cinema 
very nice and it has you jumping around um coruscant just like you were in the prequel trilogy um so pretty faithfully remade there i thought i found it a little confusing to be honest i mean i don't have like coruscant isn't certainly the, the one i was i was itching to to, to explore <laughs> but it was, it was very dark for one thing and i i found the level design a little confusing in just it was often hard to tell where you were supposed to go this in most of the, the levels i found were very be- beautifully crafted they were all look very organic and lived in but just almost too much so that you can't actually tell well what part of this world is actually interactable what what part of the wall can i cling on to what like the, there'll be a gap in the wall that I, you have to you know slip between but it, it's hard you can't, you can't tell that it's there from a distance until you're right up there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really struggled with that at first. So there's no, like, I know it's become a bit of a joke that, like, these, the ye- these the kinds yellow of games are covered holds, in right? yellow paints. Yeah, yeah but that, that, there is absolutely a reason for that. And, like, the, sometimes you need those. I mean, lo- looking organic is nice and all, but it is a game. And it, I found it can break... It broke my pacing quite a bit to have to like go into my map just to figure out what direction I needed to go in. Yeah, I thought this game did it fairly well, actually. It's about the balance that I would like it. I don't like those yellow handholds, especially in those essentially linear non-exploration games like um, your what are they? Your Uncharted's, where you're just um, you know push the stick left, push the stick up, kind of traversal. This game was much much more demanding. Um, in the sort of tricky 3D platforming that you had to accomplish. Sometimes it was quite devious, some of the traversal challenges. Thankfully, a lot of it was optional. Thankfully, a lot of it was just for uh, explorables, collectibles, of course, different hairstyles or facial hairstyles, <laughs> um, really uh, different color shades for your lightsabers, which really after the two or first two or three you get, you don't really care. I mean, you can the the the, the lightsaber customization is broken down into like five different levels. It's not like the, the the hilt of your lightsaber is like five different components that you can mix and match, and like how many pixels is that really? <laughs> like it, that was other than. The, that was three years of someone's life. Yeah, yeah, I, I found that pretty pointless. Even, even um, BD One, your robot can be customized, but other than a couple of standouts, most of them all looked pretty much the same from a distance. So I, I found those customizations pretty useless. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought they were cute. Uh, it was nice that they're there. I didn't really hunt them for their own sake. I just wanted to do the, the exploration and 3D platforming puzzles for the fun and challenge of it. Yeah. And I thought they were actually pretty well uh, uh, accomplished. Um, you know, I'm not the hugest 3D platformer fan. I'm not even not even the hugest 2D platformer fan, but I felt like the challenges were just challenging enough. And they got actually quite devious if you go into some of the optional challenges, like the bespoke platforming worlds that you can uh, challenge worlds that you can enter. Oh, like these little portals you go into. Yeah, those were quite tricky, but nothing in the actual world I found was particularly challenging other than, again, just figuring out where you're supposed to go. Because sometimes the, these longer sequences, you can't even see ahead as to where you want to go until you start jump. Like sometimes there's it's literally a dead end and you've got no choice but to jump along the wall, hit the dead end, and then, oh, suddenly it falls away. But like you have to just do that because 
it was the only option there, right? Even though it wouldn't have made sense to jump into the dead end. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know about you. I feel pretty used to that from a certain generation yeah. of early 2000s 3D platforming games. It's, it's not exactly new or innovative, but for that style of game, I thought it was pretty well uh, achieved. Yeah, I mean, there's a great sense of movement and flow, running along walls and jumping around. I, I, I did think it was, it felt pretty silly to me, the way he bounces around like Mario. Like you get these two <laughs> parallel walls, and he just bounces back and forth, like to to, to jump up. It didn't feel particularly elegant to me. Um, yeah, I don't the, know, the, the little the, the little bunny hop from <laughs> side to side of the area. Yeah, have I know. Had some dignity, cow. <laughs> I know what you mean. The 3D traversal. I thought it really came together in a kind of addictive way once you started to unlock all of the traversal abilities. Uh, of course, you you gain the predictable double jump, but you also gain well, it actually uh, sort of dash you out forward with the jump. ability. Right? You, yeah, you probably had that from the original game in the trilogy. Yeah, you basically start with. with all the all the abilities from the first game. You basically start with the and so this only escalates things from there. Right. So the dash forward helps a lot. You can dash through these certain light fields, which gives you an uh, additional boost. Um, you have some things in your environment that uh, thrust you into the air or help you glide. Well, some of those were a little bit cheesy, let's let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But with the certain uh, uses of the environment you have available to you, like clinging, dangling, uh, kind of cantering uh, along walls, the wall running, very, very reminiscent of that other Respawn Entertainment game I was telling you about. It was the Titanfall... Um, the most recent one. Titanfall 2, but also uh, Apex right. Legends, their, their um, Battle Royale game, plays that with that a lot. But the thing is with those games, those for like, like truly open levels where you're running and jumping and bouncing around in a pretty organic way, here it's very much feels like a quick time event. I, I did at times feel like Cal was a bit he felt like a human magnet the way he just accelerates like, to click onto a wall like, rather than sort of organically moving in the world um so it didn't always flow particularly elegantly i th i felt yeah there were pretty few and far between the truly long extended challenging environmental uh, sequences but there were there particularly in some of the larger areas on kobo and Jeddah. I mean, Jeddah alone has these truly devious environmental challenges that are left by certain early Jedi um, excursions. I don't know. I don't know what the reasoning was. <laughs> you just have to follow these puzzles to unlock certain abilities. But uh, some of those were more extended, like five, six, seven um, kind of jump, uh, twist, dash runs. And when you get to combine some of those traversal abilities in an extended fashion, it really gave me the kind of the high of being able to pull off like a Tony Hawk skater, pro skater two, run over this, um, you know, this, this ferry terminal or over this bridge, uh, grinding on a rail, this and that the combos you could achieve, just, you get a kind of a, you know, a performance high just from being able to accomplish it. So oh, when, yeah, there, when there that happened, it was fun. Yeah, there, there are some real highs there. It's, it's especially uh, it's a, a couple, at least, that, of like almost chase sequences where 
you're 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 really on the move, uh, and there's no stopping to to rummage through a, a crate for a, a mullet or something. So th- those were really thrilling, and the actual just con- the, the pacing was much better when it stops being a sort of e- exploration game and just keeps the momentum going forward. And I felt like that th- th- that was when it really sort of just in- just accepted it's a quick time event <laughs> that you're jumping through and running along walls and and with- without stopping to to. Uh, look for collectibles i I thought that that was where it really shined right um speaking of another um way this game shined i don't know if it's the right time to mention it but another way the environments draw you in is it treats the game sort of like disneyland right you feel (laughs) like you're in a disney theme park like Sorry, a Star Wars mean, theme park. Well, <laughs> so <Ends>. much, <laughs> so much fan service and really reveling in the environment. You know, all these little n- knickknacks and background scenery things in Grizz's bar, which is a sort of a set piece that you visit. Grizz establishes a bar from himself. You catch up with him, and it's this kind of hangout full of these kooky characters. And as you complete more and more missions on Kobo, more and more people start hanging out at this hangout. And it sort of becomes a character in itself. And there's these passageways you can walk down. Some are totally optional and you only go down once. Uh, But you kind of get to this basement area in Grizz's bar. And you see all these like knickknacks and odds and ends hanging out. And you see his like rotary closet that only has his one suit but (laughs) 12 or 16 copies of it and you just like chuckle at yourself at like the little very theatrical touches storytelling touches these kind of environmental planners and designers have created to help you feel immersed in a world Oh yeah, as I said, it is a beautifully designed game. I think I think the as a world, it it's, works a lot better than it does as a game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a lot more detail is going going into those immersive factors and and little, and little details and Easter eggs and and, and world building elements. Yeah, I, and it, it sounds like I might be a bigger fan of Star Wars than you, <laughs> although uh, you know I I have been a lifelong Star Wars fan, but I'm also the kind of fan that doesn't know the name of all the background characters races and what planet they come from and all the names of all the starfighters that are in the background of every shot either but even so i appreciated how this game really touched on pretty much every era of star wars every film every tv show even you know there's touches from the uh, High Republic novel series. There's yeah, touches to the yeah. Old Republic, of course, the original trilogy, the sequel trilogy, the prequel trilogy. So much great Clone Wars stuff in this game. My goodness. Just <laughs> the ability to see some of this stuff that you've, you know, obviously watched in a lot of Clone Wars episodes if you got through that series, but in a more, you know, fleshed out manner. Um, you, you get little touches of that in in a series like Andor, where you see some what? of the Clone Wars era stuff in, in more higher fidelity. But this game, you just like are inside of it. That's just it. I found it a little overwhelming in a sense, even as someone who's sort of 
gotten a bit lukewarm on Star Wars lately, and Andor is like, I, Andor was my favorite television show of, of last year or whenever it came out. Like, I, I really loved that show, but partly because it was so divorced from so much of that nostalgia, uh, and it was able to stand on its own. And I was, I was kind of looking for that here a little more, but they, they were relying on a lot of, of references and pulling. T- like pulling from so many different sources, only half of which I've seen. So that was a little bit lost on me. <laughs> yeah, I would argue that Andor wasn't divorced from Star Wars. Andor was divorced from Jedi. Well, yes, yeah, but it was it was pretty still pretty grounded. But not to not to get too much into that. But I, I did really enjoy the the Pyloon Saloon. That is one of like my favorite tropes in games. Like, give me a town or or like a, a little uh, hub that I can be adding people and, and things to over the course of the game. Like, I I, I love that sense of progression. Uh, it was a little again. I found it a little overwhelming. Like, how many people were suddenly in there that I needed, needed to talk to and trying to figure out what who has quests and who has new new dialogue and there was, there was a lot going on in there. But I, I do I do quite enjoy that sense of space. Yeah, I you mentioned uh, Turgle. There's some other side <laughs> characters like this strangely um, Scottish sounding fishman. Who, oh, Scuba Steve. <laughs> who shows up on every single planet that you visit, multiple times even. He's always there. <laughs> to help you. I don't know what he's doing. He's, is he helping you? You're helping him track down these legendary... He's a man. He's just living the dream. <laughs> yeah, um, aquatic creatures to add to, of course, the floor-to-ceiling aquarium that shows up at Pylon Saloon, um, which is pretty fun to look at yourself. There's a rooftop garden which you help expand which you can start planting some of the seed samples that you collect on every single planet as well. Yeah, that was another yet another mechanic. Like, there's, there's a lot of feature creep in this game that I felt was pretty unnecessary. Like building the garden just felt very un- unnecessary, really. Along with all the all of the collectibles, it, it just it, I could have done with a little more focus in that regard. Like rather than all these sub mechanics and side side collectibles. Yeah, it, it that feature in particular felt pretty unnecessary for sure but it also you know if you like that side of things it does help to draw you in give you a sense of place and give you a sense of progression that you probably normally wouldn't get from a very linear you know mission-based game like your uncharted's or some of the tomb raider style games that have come out in the past and I think structurally, formally, this game is a bit of a throwback to those that era of game design, I feel like. Yeah, with the, the open world elements, I guess. I, I guess it's quite similar to that, what was the, the more recent Tomb Raider, like Rise of the Tomb Raider, that had these sort of semi-open world areas to explore. But here, I, I don't really feel like it adds very much. Like It, it just it was more of a distraction. Yeah, uh, the tombs, anything. and this game does have tombs, very much like those newer Tomb Raider games. They yes, feel yeah. so Je- Jedi optional. Changes. Yeah, they're these Jedi, I don't know, ostensibly training chambers or whatnot. And they're very self-contained. Typically, there's only one entrance and one exit. It's a series of block puzzles, light um, stream puzzles, door puzzles, this and that, you're putting down these marbles down these tracks. It's kind of very rote. 
I, and I have no patience for these type of puzzles, to be honest. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> like, I, I actually kind of dig them. I mean, yeah, they're sort of like I don't know. I guess the most similar example correlation would be to those. What are they? Shrines in Breath of the Wild, right? Breath of the yes. Wild, Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, similar. They're yeah. pretty much about the same size, about the same scope, maybe a little bit longer than your average Zelda shrine, about you know thirty percent longer, but. You'll you get the sense, you know, you're you're in there for a reason. Get in, get out. Well, the thing get, that gets me is like you you get in there, you you see the solution, and then it takes five minutes to actually physically manipulate everything. And it's just, I just find that really tedious. Like, how long does it take to, for BD one to spray his gunk all over the walls and form this trail, and then pull this chest over here and this box over here? Like, I I just the, the physical manipulation, I just don't have a lot of patience for. Oh man, the you just mentioned it. The the BD one spraying your junk. This is Super Mario Sunshine. Do yes, you remember yeah. that game? You play Super Mario Sunshine in Jedi Survivor. What a weird callback. Uh but yeah, but it's there. Yeah, one of many ways in which this is so much like a Mario game for some reason. But I yeah, again, a bit more feature creep that didn't really feel like it really needed. Like those, those puzzles weren't particularly engaging. It was just draw a line along the wall. <laughs> yeah, and I think that really points to something that this game actually endears me to it a little bit, is that it's sort of like a spaghetti game. Like, they just threw everything at the wall and and saw what's, what would stick. They mishmashed a whole bunch of different gameplay mechanisms and together and i feel like they mostly hold together your opinion might differ it's 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 all very adequate adequate like proficient shall we say like it does all of these things well enough but they don't all cohere together into a, a focused experience so i think this could really could have benefited from yeah, I would probably have to agree with you. It sounds for me like I enjoyed the um, pastiche of gameplay <laughs> mechanisms and environmental storytelling and puzzle design and narrative design a little bit more than you. But maybe because the sheer degree of fan service that this game yeah. was dripping with speaks more to me. So I think, you know... Uh, a player is going to have to keep that in mind. Are they going to get a really compelling experience out of this game? Maybe not more than a dozen other games of similar quality and similar design scope. But I think if you are a fan of the universe, a fan of the license, and you know everything that these references are drawing from, I think it's going to just push you and make this game really you know, sing. Yeah, I, I, I'm willing. I'm willing to cop to the fact that I think I'm just a little burnt out on AAA games. Like this, this is a very good game that is well made, and yet to me, it's not really doing anything new. It's maybe re- recombining things in slightly different mix, and like obviously it has the Star Wars appeal, but it's not really giving me a new experience. And I, I what, what is killer for me these days, at least, is that it doesn't really respect my time, and that that, that is obviously key <laughs> these days with what limited time we have. Uh, and like AAA games, that just feel like diminishing returns to an extent. Like everything we've seen here, we've seen like, each segment of this we've seen done better in other games. But like I said it isn't a bad game by any means. It's just not really pu- pushing the the envelope at all in my regard. Yeah, 
I would say that I don't think this genre of game is intended to respect your time. <laughs> I, I think it's it's meant to be like a, a playground to to enjoy fan service and and enjoy a pastiche of a few different genres. It's in strangely, it's a lot more focused than a bunch of other open world games I can think of, like your Ubisoft entries in that genre um, gameplay mechanism. I think it's way more focused, way tighter. And for that reason, I didn't get too tired of it. Um, I did have to step away a couple of times, but I think that was, I was actually ironically served really well by having to return it to the library every now and again. It's funny you mentioned that uh, open world Ubisoft because I, I wanted to mention I'm I'm still quite excited for Star Wars Outlaws that should be coming in theory sometime later this year will probably be next year but that is actually going to be an Ubisoft open world game but I like a, a true open world game that you can actually like explore rather than just look for mullets right uh, and uh, again divorced from the the Jedi uh, mythology so I'm, I'm looking forward to how that explores the fringes of, of Star Wars a little more perhaps yeah I agree I'm, I'm I'm purposely not trying to look at very much for outlaws <laughs> because I want to be surprised I'm hoping that Ubisoft is learning lessons from the the really the pushback that its fans have given to its long-running series like Far Cry, like Assassin's Creed. There was a lot of um, criticism for the most recent Assassin's Creed entries, enough so that it made them kind of go back to its roots with the latest entry in the series, simplify and kind of go in the opposite direction from the sheer bloat that um, their their most recent entries have uh, had. So hopefully... They take that to heart. Hopefully they can make a tighter, more focused, interesting uh, entry into their, you know, capable stable of open world type games. Not that this is like that. This game isn't like that. And for, and I appreciate it for that reason yeah, that, that has been on my mind quite a bit lately like far cry especially and how much like i i sometimes i have the i have this um have a craving to, to play some some light like just some empty calorie sh- shooting stuff in like far cry right but that's just it, it really just is empty calories and this and most triple a games including this sometimes just feel like it's hitting me like it's hitting that Pavlovian response of like deflecting laser beams. Yeah. And getting, getting another, another collectible chest, new color unlocked. And like, it gets me on that Pavlovian level, but it's not really engaging me on a deeper level that I'm, that I'm really missing sometimes. Yeah. You know, I was reminded when you mentioned that this game isn't offering a lot new, that probably the last time I enjoyed an action heavy exploration game, like this uh that made me feel similar ways was um probably control Hmm. i really enjoyed control i thought the gameplay was super tight the design wasn't and narrative wasn't kind of overstated it didn't last too long it was doing some interesting things like including flight into its traversal (laughs) um sort of warping just doing these kind of superhero style powers but in a a little bit more of a grounded, weird, off-kilter world. Uh, so, you know, that was probably the last game I enjoyed of this scale, but thought was doing some cool stuff. 
Yeah, it's a good pull, and I, I am a big fan of what Remedy's doing. Uh, I was similarly disappointed by Alan Wake 2's gameplay, but Controlled was definitely a lot tighter, I felt like. Uh, I've, I've meaning to revisit that one. That did have a really good sense of okay, and then m- movement, like just good flow with the way you're moving and fighting at the same time. But let's not get too distracted here. Um, do we want to talk about the story at all before let's, we yeah, wrap let's, this up? Let's just touch on it really lightly, because I know that some people are going to be sensitive towards spoilers say i'm not going to mention any actual spoilers that are here but anything you can get glean from a gameplay trailer yeah i would say or the back of the box sort of thing don't don't add us <laughs> if you <laughs> feel like this was spoiling too much so maybe just a couple words i don't know you you start us off well i mean you, we mentioned this earlier and i i think the the real strength here is the characters like all the characters are all just really well performed and well written. They're all like a lot of quips and and wisecracking and and uh, catchphrases, but in a very authentic, genuine way. I found and they like they're all pretty lovable characters. Uh, this, this this one this game is largely a sort of getting the gang back together story. Absolutely. And then you yeah. have all these other like so these, these other rogues gallery of people you're assembling at the tavern. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that part. Uh, I mean, before I go on, uh, do you have any th- thoughts on that? Yeah, much the same as you. Uh, getting the band back together works fairly well. Pretty much most of the main original cast returns. But I like how they've recontextualized a couple of the characters that I thought were probably not served very very well or very completely in the last game. I thought the performer and the character, uh, Marin was criminally underused in the last game. Mm, it, yes. Although her background is maybe the most interesting as a, a night sister, absolutely, yeah. Um, that yeah. is a kind of an under undertold sect uh, storyline within Star Wars world. Well, that's why partly what I love about this is that it does explore the expressions of the Force outside of the Jedi and the Sith. Right. Right. You've got the Night Sisters. I think the An- the Anchorites have some form of Force ability. Uh, you've got dark jedi that aren't sith explicitly uh so i, I do like how it's exploring that but i, I, I right I, I really want to get away from the actual jedi of jedi survivor right for sure and even <laughs> eventually even cal the character who isn't much of a character let's admit yeah even yeah. he starts <laughs> to recontextualize what it is to be a jedi in a couple of interesting ways so suffice it to say the character Marin. Uh, gets a much larger part this time around. Um, Grizz is pretty much exactly the same. Uh, He's a walking fast character, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Seer, um, I felt like initially wasn't used very much in this game, but there's there's a great moment where she is yep, showcased yep. to a great degree, so lots of cool stuff there. And unfortunately, I feel like BD-1 and the Mantis, which is your ship, are, yeah. are pretty much always there with you. They're featured super prominently. They're pretty much in BD One is pretty much in every shot of the game, but they don't really take them as characters any further. They don't do anything new with them. Unfortunately, I had a much better sense of hanging out on the Mantis in the first game. Here, like the saloon is where you're hanging out, right? And right. so that that didn't feel particularly engaging. Uh, I mean, BD One has some great little character beats, like just what very expressionist. Like, sorry, it very it has a lot of 
forms of expressing himself for a robot. It's very cute. Uh, but again, not much of a, a character necessarily. Right. Uh, I thought pretty much all of the antagonists were pretty ho-hum. Yeah. Yeah. The, the very little sense of motivation here. Uh, and I mean, I, I think that goes across the board in terms of motivation though, to be honest. Like, so this, this isn't really a spoiler. This is pretty early that they're looking for t- Tenelor. It's like this lost Jedi planets that, that's hard to get to, but it basically acts as like the... El Dorado. Like, they found a map to El Dorado, and suddenly everyone is obsessed with getting there, whether it's the enemies and, and, the, and, and our heroes. But, like, why they want to... Like, why the, the, the main antagonist wants to go there is never really clear. Uh, and, yeah, I, I just find the, the motivation is pretty lacking here. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, there's a couple of bright spots from some of the newer side characters. I thought Bo de Kuna, um, him being sort of like this buddy-buddy character uh, who forms a tighter bond, really kind of humanized Cal a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Also, he's kind of got this like rocketeer a little bit. (laughs) um, What is it? A little little bit, what's his name? Boba Fett style without the helmet, say, just because he's got the jetpack and he's flying around. around. Although, funny enough, like he could have just beat the mission himself. He could have just bypassed and did bypass all of the environmental puzzles that Cal Kestis <laughs> had to do because, of course, he's a smart guy. He brought a jetpack to a yeah, So much of this game is waiting for Cal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Marin, she's just whipping, warping everywhere while, while Cal's just grappling, grappling onto the side of a cliff for most and of again, the game. That is one of the coolest moments when is Marin, who has a very distinct sense of, of abilities. Sorry, abilities distinct from cows. There is a segment or two where they're combining their abilities in, in unique ways, and I found that was a lot of fun. Right. Yeah, that was one of the cool new abilities that they added, and and visually very interesting too. Yeah. Uh, and some of the lesser side new side characters that you get introduced early on in the game, I thought a few of them were pretty cute and humorous, and a couple of them were even a, a throwback to the original game. So, nice job there. There were some other touches that uh, helped you, you know, get your foot set into the world. So we mentioned there's two main worlds. There's a very small Coruscant area. And then there's kind of like two or three other environments that are really pretty darn microscopic, but fun little diversions. Uh, I didn't find them particularly inventive. Like you don't go to any cool locations in this game. There's no truly alien worlds, right? They're all pretty ho-hum. There are a lot of of like corridor, like the, the facility, the, the empire facilities. Oh, but those facilities though, they were so authentic to the source material. Well, yeah. You felt like you were really ripped right from the set of the original trilogy or, or Andor or just thrust into some of these great environments. Yeah, sure. They were cliche, but, but again, there's nothing new here. Well executed. You're not going to a new world. Like you, you see a couple of worlds that look have a cool design to them, and then from the ground, they're just small canyons that are slightly different color, right? <laughs> right. So talking about story a little bit, this game has a decidedly darker tone and direction. Uh, I think pretty much trying to echo or indicate that this is the second of a trilogy of games. Yeah, I'm a little worried for the direction that we're going in the in the last one. 
well, you know, that happened in uh, Empire Strikes Back too, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think that's fine. Uh, I think that's nothing to be concerned about. It's just saying, oh, there's, there's, you know, they're going to make a third one. Something, I think this something dark side. Yeah, I think this game sold pretty well. People really hold it up as a shining example of a single player game that doesn't use microtransactions and just sells you everything that should come with the game in the original package or a couple of extra DLC. No nickel and diming with these loot boxes or forced (laughs) service gameplay style mechanisms like a couple of the big tentpole flops that have come recently like the Marvel game. It was IDOS, right? Avengers, you mean? Yeah, the Marvel Avengers game, which was a super flop. We covered that one as well. And the Suicide Squad that has come out more recently. It's it's currently flopping, yeah. (laughs) Right, which has got some really bad flack too. So I I like this style of single-player game that has everything in the box. And I applaud it, and I hope games like it still continue to get made. Yeah, I I mean, I... Yeah, would love to see more of these as well. I again, I found it very proficient as a AAA game, and it's probably it's very good as a Star Wars game. But uh, I, I again was not, didn't find a lot new to engage me here. Uh, not not to not to to be a dead horse, but I I I'd, I'd, I think I'd prefer something like Guardians of the Galaxy. Speaking of the those um, Marvel games, that that was a lot more focused. Uh, and focus on the characters and the story. I'd like to see that maybe a little more here, because this was just so much feature creep and open world that felt pretty wasted and level design that was I found confusing. Uh, so just give me a, a focused, character-driven Star Wars experience. There you go. So I think you've heard our perspectives on this. If you're a fan of Star Wars, I recommend it. If you're not, maybe consider some other games some other tighter games out there but uh yeah i personally think you'll enjoy it if you are a fan absolutely there is a lot to love here <laughs> despite my go. negativity <laughs> uh do you have any other info to share any feedback we've gotten recently oh we did have a couple of comments in regards to jedi survivor uh just quickly here uh grant from our family plays games said this was an awesome game the jedi series probably has my favorite star wars games ever although force unleashed and battlefront 2 are still up there so that's one thing i guess we didn't discuss was how this fits into other star wars games yeah i actually haven't played those two games very much at all I played more of the other games in the entries like Knights of the Old Republic, even um, Squadron from EA was pretty good in terms of gameplay and fan service and some of the old school games, of course. Yeah, I, I remember playing one of the Star Wars games on the NES. It was like a... It was a really, really interesting mix of like side scrolling and, and sort of uh, vehicle sections and it mixed a bunch of different sort of genres in there. So that, that was fun. But otherwise, I think um, the old, old Republic has got to be up there in terms of really letting you create a character with a, like, giving you a choice and agency over the world, I think was, I, I really appreciated that being in that Star Wars world. Right. And because it was set in a new timeline, it could be, it could branch out a little bit and try some newer yeah. things. Yeah. 
yeah. Unfortunately, you don't have the, the luxury here of whether you're going to, 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 to kill Vader or spare him, right? It's like, the, the, this is all planned out. All right, looks like we have another feedback, piece of be- feedback from Lachlan Blackmore. Did you get this one from Twitter or X? Yes, yeah. All right, I'll Sorry. read it out. I love this game. It would have done so much better if they held off release until it was more stable. Well, <laughs> probably true, but when I yeah. got to play it, it was pretty tight. That was that's one thing we didn't cover is that this was uh, did suffer a lot of issues at launch. A lot of, like frame rate, especially, was one that came up, and I didn't have any major issues. The last third of the game did really chug in the frame rate department. Um, that it was. That kind of, like, especially when that, that last third is probably the strongest part of the game, but the the combat was a lot was was really hard to get into when it when it was so slow. Oh yeah. Strangely enough, the the area that struggled the most, judging from the noise of my console, was the beard menu. <laughs> Just the, the, the mullet is too strong. Can't ha- can't handle it. <laughs> yeah, I thought there was just two combats that were you know you. If, there were not optional that were quite difficult. I actually had to lower the difficulty uh, from the gameplay menu uh, for those two. But I actually think that's a great feature to have in a game. I personally don't plan on getting good to see all the content (laughs) in the game. I played this far. I'm going to see it through to the end and I have no shame in altering the gameplay difficulty. And I applaud games that allow you to change the difficulty on the fly. I think that's great for accessibility. So um, yeah, more games like that, I'd love to see it. Yeah, especially when they, when they still give you the the achievements for that. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm still a complete sicko for... As much as I complained about this, like, I, I, I want to track down all those chests and, and clear the map and get all the achievements. And I, I just can't help myself. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff to find out there. Uh-huh. Okay, I think I've pretty much covered everything in this part of the galaxy. Absolutely. What are we looking at next episode? Yeah, so, of course, we played a video game this time. Next time, we're going to be talking about a cardboard game. Uh, So, I think the title we agreed upon is going to be Mythwind. And let me spell that out. M-Y-T-H-W-I-N-D, not Mistwind. Yes, yeah, so this this came out a couple of months or so ago, and they're they're, they're ramping up to a new... Sort of second printing on Kickstarter, so I thought a good, pretty good time to, to visit this and, and see if, 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 if how interesting it is for those who might want to back the second printing. So uh, this is from a local uh, publisher up in up in Kelowna. So always like looking at local locally made games, and it's a there's some interesting uh, concepts that it explores in terms of win loss conditions or lack thereof so looking forward to discussing that cool well i'm looking forward to that yes so uh if you had any more thoughts on this game or Mythwinds, you can contact us at omnigamersclub at gmail.com or contact us on x or blue sky i am on and oh, um, sorry i should say i am at board game feast on those platforms and mark I am OmniGamerMark on Instagram. And uh, yeah, reach out to us. We always love hearing your feedback. Yes, feel free to join the club. Thanks for listening. And jetting, jetting off. Yes. All right. 
Even the hollow tactics table. There you go. Until <laughs> next time, have a balanced diet of space food and games. Cheers. <laughs>